Hello, it's Wednesday 21st of February. I'm Hannah Pearson. On our 200th episode, Gary Bowen and I will take a look back through four years of podcasting. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So, happy anniversary to us. Today, Hannah and I are going to reflect on 200 episodes of the Southeast Asia Travel Show, a large period of which involved podcasting about travel during a pandemic. So, Hannah, let's take a look back to where it all started, and can you remember how it all began? Oh, gosh, how did the podcast... Well, you reached out to me, didn't you? I think it was maybe November 2019 because I run a travel massive event and then you were meant to go to it and then you couldn't come and then you'd message me anyway and said hey can we go for a coffee I've got this idea right I think that's where it all came from started yeah that's right I think it was actually a little bit before that I think it was about September so this is what 2019 this is this is a pre-pandemic and we met for a coffee at a a place in Bangsar in KL and we fleshed out some ideas to do a podcast and the the aim at that time, if you remember, Hannah, going back to 2019, was our thought that Southeast Asia was a, a thriving and, and a pretty dynamic engine of, of travel and tourism, not just in, in Asia Pacific, but increasingly globally. Mm-hmm. I think back in those days, you know, I think it was growing, the region was growing almost 8% per year in terms of visitor numbers. And it just seemed like, although a lot, of, lot was happening, um, it was still fairly restricted in the way that travel and tourism was being talked about in the region. You know, there is the the print media, the trade media, but there certainly wasn't much podcasting going on. There wasn't, and you know, even the, the the broadcast media wasn't picking up on too much of it. So our aim at that time was to start talking about an industry that was thriving, that was growing, uh, and then everything changed. It did, didn't it? So yeah, we, I think we we had. The very first first episode, which is like a trial where we were trying things out, I think in December, and then our first pilot hit um, beginning of January, which of course um, was, well, we can talk about that later, but you know, just we had all those headlines starting to come out over the Christmas about COVID, okay, it's in China, this new novel coronavirus, and um yeah, we 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 ploughed on anyhow, um, but like you say, Gary, it was. Um, I think very soon things changed, didn't it? You know, we we were starting off, and I think we had our, our travel wish list for uh, 2020. It's something we do every year, um, and I think we soon started to realise that that might not come to fruition that year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just looking back to, to to thinking back to that period, really, and certainly the the back end of 2019 when we were putting it together. And, and you know, you and I had never done a podcast before. We both done interviews, we both done broadcasts, but we'd never actually set up a podcast. And we had to go through various technical things, didn't we, in terms of yeah. setting it up, getting the the recording software, getting the microphones right. Uh, quite a few things we had to go through. Um, it took us a while to actually to nail exactly how we were going to do it. And then as soon as we were ready to start, as you say, January 2020, there was already, you know, sort of this sentiment around the world that perhaps the novel coronavirus, as you said, it wasn't even called COVID-19 at that time, 
um, was going to have an impact. Nobody knew what that impact was going to be. And nobody knew, particularly uh, here in Southeast Asia, how governments were going to respond. So there was that period, wasn't there, from the 9th of January when we did mm. the initial uh, pilot show yep. for uh, like three or four weeks, a bit of uncertainty, and we sort of plowed ahead. And But then it became quite clear mm. within what sort of early March, I guess, that this yeah. was going to be something really serious. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We were in that weird kind of period. And of, of course, if you maybe some of the listeners remember, some of them don't, but some of the first cases that were detected um, worldwide were in Southeast Asia, right? They were in Singapore, they were in um, Bangkok. And I remember um, traveling to Singapore and I think it was the end of end of January. Um, I was just there, and Changi Airport was super quiet. Um, and Gary, you you were quite insistent. I remember then you you were like, "No, I I need to do like this solo episode covering what we knew then about COVID," which probably turned out to be very very forward thinking of you, right? I remember you, you doing this kind of one, and you know, gathering up all of that knowledge that we had about what was going on and, and what that could possibly mean but of course like you said you know we really had no idea how that was going to play out yeah i i have to admit i, I first learned about covid19 when i was i was in the uk it was christmas 2019 i think it was the day before new year's eve and i saw a news report about i think it was 53 cases of suspected pneumonia in in wuhan and i just had a bad sinking feeling about it right away i mean i remember i, I actually moved to china just after sars and I was a journalist at the time. And I remember interviewing a lot of people about what happened in SARS during that time in China. And, it, you know, it was really devastating. And a lot of it didn't actually ever come out publicly. But I did have this bad feeling about COVID-19. And I think, you know, I scared a lot of people when I was telling them during January and February what, you know, what this potentially could be. Not that I had any foresight, but it just didn't seem right. Um, and, and I, like you, I traveled. I went to Bali I think it was at the end of Chinese New Year that year. And we took a, um, we, we hired a driver to go around parts of the north of Bali. And this guy was, was great. He was very talkative. And he said that over the past sort of four or five years, most of his business had been with Chinese tourists. Um, and he said that they, you know, as, as often happens, word of mouth spread that he spoke some Chinese, that he was very amenable to to dealing with Chinese travelers and he did great business, but he said, they're not coming back. And he said, I don't know when they'll come back again. And that kind of just sort of jolted something in my mind that, you know, the tourism industry, at the, at, you know, at that level understands that this is something serious and it probably is. Yeah. I mean, and like you say, I think perhaps that's why it maybe dawned on you first rather than me, because I was, you know, back in Europe when SARS hit. And so for me, you know, it was it was kind of a blip. It was a headline somewhere in a, a different part of the world. Um, but a lot of the tourism businesses have gone through that here. Um, and like you say, therefore, those alarm bells probably started to ring a lot sooner than maybe they did for other people in tourism industry in other parts of the world. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, looking back on the last four years, it's inevitable that we have to reflect on COVID because it frames so much about how our podcast developed, the, the yeah. guests that we spoke to, and a lot of the issues that we've been talking about. And so, you know, from that point, as you said, Hannah, 9th of January, we did our first uh, podcast. By the 30th of January, that the World Health Organization had declared uh, the novel coronavirus, a global health emergency. And then I think it was March the 11th or around about that day, it actually declared a pandemic. Uh, and shortly afterwards, we spoke to Stuart McDonald in Bali, Hannah. And he, 
he he came out with a quote that I think I'll always remember for the rest of my life. Can you can you remember what he said? Yeah, he said, I think we're looking at at least two to two and a half years from today before any kind of substantial recreational tourism restarts. So, Stuart, I think you you got it spot on, really, because whilst, of course, you know, there were those um, bright spots of domestic tourism popping up now and then in between the different restrictions and lockdowns, um, yeah, it, it really took a long way to to go back. And even I was looking, we had Simon Westaway from Australia on the show in December. And he said something very similar. You know, in December 2020, he was saying it will take upwards of five years to recover. And I think you can, you know, I'm pretty sure that the tourism recovery in Australia is going to take that long. Yeah, it is remarkable looking back on that quote, because I remember when Stuart said it, and I, I and I did sort of like absorb it straight away. And it was kind of something that was I was thinking in the back of my head, but I hadn't said it. Um, but when Stuart actually framed that, uh, we, we, you know, a lot of people I've spoken to about the show ever since have actually gone back to that particular quote, um, just because mm. of the timing and, and, then, and how it was actually spot on. But I guess also for us, Hannah, that kind of framed how we then went forward. And the interesting thing about podcasting, uh, about travel during a, a period when, particularly in Southeast Asia, there was so little travel actually happening, is that we actually had access to a lot of people, didn't we? A lot of people were prepared to come on and yes. talk about the issues because there were a lot of predictions, there were a lot of forecasts, there were a lot of um, outlook thinking about what this might become. But unless even governments didn't really know um, from month to month how this was going to to pan out, no. but we did have very very strict government uh, regulations regarding borders, regarding movement around countries uh, for a long period of time. Uh, and so I guess you know a lot of the guests that we spoke to during that period, Hannah, were were like us, were were homebound. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you look at what was the silver lining uh, that came out of the pandemic, I mean. I think you can probably say the pandemic made the podcast, right, in, in a way, because as you said, Gary, it gave us that access to people who we might not necessarily have had access to before. They might have been too busy. Um, a lot of people were also listening to podcasts. At that time, 2020, there were still fewer. Obviously, there were podcasts around, but I would say there were not quite the number that there are um, today. And it really just just gave us that platform to be the the place where people could go to get those updates on what was happening in Southeast Asia. And we had a lot of listeners, not necessarily from the region itself, but from outside the region too, who were kind of tuning in just to figure out what the status quo was here. Yeah. And, and you're right there. Because we were able to speak to people during the pandemic, it turned the show into sort of, we had this sort of two pronged way that we approached it one was you and I doing discussions about the the, the issues of the, of the day and then we interviewed uh, people from around the world actually um, about the issues that were happening and you know what, what the future outlooks were and I look back across the statistics Hannah and we've done 200 shows of the Southeast Asia travel show 80 of those were interviews and we've actually interviewed people in 18 different countries. I run through the list. Okay. Um, they run from Spain to Indonesia, Singapore, Netherlands, Laos, Australia, Maldives, Vietnam, UK, Germany, Japan, Myanmar, Cambodia, Thailand, the US, South Korea, Malaysia, and the Philippines. Can you remember all of those? <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that surprises me. I think what surprises me more is that we found 120 
episodes and topics to talk about. Talk about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> particularly a lot of that was during the pandemic where you said, you know, a lot, it was a funny time, wasn't it? Because a lot was being said about tourism, but not a lot of tourism was actually happening. Um, so there were, there were lots of articles, but it was all just, yeah, guessing and all sorts of funny funny concepts when I was going back through some of the things that we discussed. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've forgotten that even existed. I forgot that that was a thing. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And so I'm going to ask you, Hannah, what what are your memories that stand out, good and bad, from those long, dark mm. COVID days? But I'm, I'm going to kick off with those because I think one of the most interesting things for me was all, was A, as you said, that we had access to people that perhaps otherwise we wouldn't have been able to speak to because they would have been busy, they'd have been traveling, they'd have been working, they'd have been speaking at conferences or, or whatever. Um, but also was how we were able to grow our international audience because because of the interest of what was happening in Southeast Asia. It, was, it became you know, immediately quite clear that going forward, Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific in general would be behind the curve in reopening. And I just looked again at our statistics. And over the last three months, Hannah, We've actually had listeners in 73 different countries around the world. And I think at one point during the pandemic, that was up to 90. So I think that actually shows, you know, really how much interest there is in, in this region. Um, and, you know, that's, it's great to see that that's still fortifying. Yeah, absolutely. So, Gary, how about, you know, in terms of the podcast, we've kind of said, you know, this this kind of good bad memories. But how about you kind of personally outside of the podcast? You know, what what are your memories? How did that? pandemic impact you because you're in tourism i'm in tourism it impacted everybody right yeah it did so obviously most tourism work went extremely quiet i was quite lucky at the time for about six years i worked as a consumer trends analyst for mintel um, that was on a part-time basis and actually that was a quite an interesting period because people were still buying most people were buying from home so the whole retail economy changed uh, and the, the products that people were buying you know, were different. People were buying more pharmaceutical products, of course, more personal healthcare uh, protection products like that. You remember that companies like Traveloka then moved into food delivery for a while, grocery delivery. So, you know, the, the consumer economies in Southeast Asia changed. One of the interesting thing at that time was, you know, this theory that perhaps the way that people consume was going to change forever. You know, we would be much more home-based. We More people would work from home. We would do more Zoom calls. There would be less business travel, all of those things. And, you know, these ideas were being put forward just at a time when it was quite, it was quite dark days and, and real changes were happening. But nobody really knew whether those changes were going to be transient. Nobody really knew how travel would get, was going to bounce back. So during the pandemic, that was an interesting angle for me. But I think the, the overarching thing about personally was just how it was great to keep in contact with the travel industry, which remained positive, I think, even during the darkest days. Um, but there were times and there were some of the interviews where you could see people were just really at the end of their tether because the information being given to them by governments, by tourism boards was was very, very poor and it was very, very inaccurate and it was not forward thinking. And it was only really... As you remember, Hannah, when we turned that corner, when countries hit their vaccination rates, you know, the targets that they'd set, that we started to see a bit more clarity. But if you look back on it now, two years in Southeast Asia, three years in China without much, you know, international travel activity, it, it's almost unthinkable. It seems like a different era, doesn't it? No, it does. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, it's like I say, you you look back at how did we how did we do that? <laughs> how did how did we keep the hope? Why didn't we leave the industry? Um, I'm sure many people are, are asking that as well. And you you also launched your Asia Travel Reset as well, didn't you, during the pandemic? Right. So that was basically for something to do, Hannah. I mean, you know, uh, uh, each weekend at the time, my wife was doing an MBA, so at weekends she was working on that, and I. had you know, I wanted to keep track of everything that was happening. We'll talk about your report in a moment. Um, and so that was just a way really for me to try and keep track of what was happening around the region and to send that out. Got a great response and, you know, it has readers around the world, which is which is still great. And then the issue was obviously to trans, transfer that into a new era when readers aren't reading all the time and they want different information, want different um, updates on different subjects. So that kind of thing has happened. But yeah, it's been great. I've, I've had great feedback on that. But you know, you you actually kicked the ball rolling. You actually started your well, well, it was a COVID impact report in Southeast Asia at the time. And you actually started just by looking at yeah. the, the the restrictions, didn't you, about the COVID restrictions in different countries? Yeah, exactly. It started off on LinkedIn, I think, and I think I started maybe in mid February. So before the borders had really closed, just trying to pull some of that information together around, yeah, who's who's open, who's closed. Um, and then I think it started in its kind of current form, the, the very basic format on the 2nd of March. So I've almost been doing it for um, four years or so, which just seems kind of unimaginable. And it just swells, you know, as to one of those things that it went beyond just travel restrictions to lockdown, what's going on domestically, aviation, what's going on eventually for outbound travel. Um, and, you know, like you said, it was it's one of those things that I took that decision earlier on. Should I make this free? Should I make this a paid for thing? And um, I said, you know what, let's just, let's just make it this, this free resource. Everybody needs to know what's going on. And it's a uh, kind of a long, long-term marketing um, strategy and it, it's paid off, I think. Um, but really, you know, when I look back now as well, you know, the, the pandemic has been making the podcast, but I think it's also been the making of my my company, Pear Anderson, as well, because the the whole model has completely shifted since before the pandemic, when we were very much sales repping and then a, a little bit of market intelligence. And now I would say the market intelligence part is the part that really drives um, the company. So it's, it's it's been interesting, although of course being locked up with a two year old. The beginning of the pandemic was uh, not without its challenges, let's say. That's really, really true. And I guess the other the other angle that, that certainly changed during the pandemic was was the media attention that we both got. We were both inundated with interviews from media about the issues that were happening at the time. Everybody obviously wants to look forward, wants you to make projections. And I was always very, very nervous to give projections because the one thing that I think we've said this several times, Hannah, the one thing that COVID taught us is making forecasts um, in our region was just futile because simply nobody knew. And you could you could make projections based on, you know, guessing, but that's all pr pretty much everybody was doing was guesswork. I think it also taught me quite a lot that the travel industry generally before the pandemic, when everything was was on an upward curve, everything was on an upward curve, it tended to plan ahead using past data, data that was past tense. So from the month before, the year before, or even, you know, the previous five years or whatever, still does that. That hasn't really changed. Uh, whereas, you know, the interesting thing about working in the consumer sphere is that consumer brands use real-time information all the time. They're not really looking backwards. They're always looking forward. And I thought that was a big difference that, uh, the, that the pandemic really highlighted for me. Oh, that's super interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. And 
is that's that challenge isn't it for the tourism industry to try and digitalize itself to try and capture all of those data points but once you've captured it then you also need someone who can actually make sense of it all and interpret it and and act on it and i suppose the thing about the tourism business is that it is a a slower one isn't it to implement um strategies so even if you know you were getting these real-time information you know consumers might be booking their holidays months and months ahead um and how you know how can you react in that do you see what i mean it's 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 almost like a slow moving ship <laughs> in a way. Yeah, you're it? absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and people don't purchase travel very often. That's yeah, the other issue. You, you know, the, the, the travel industry doesn't have as much data mm-hmm. as a supermarket or, you know, some, some uh, consumer brand where there's always purchase transactions. There's always different yeah. browsing behaviors um, because we, you know, we don't, even if you're a, um, a high profile business traveler, you don't purchase travel all the time, not as much as you, you purchase personal items. So, yeah, there is that issue. And that is a big challenge, I think, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, as we, we, we went through and I was you know, scrolling through all of these different episodes that we did and I was like, oh, travel bubbles, vaccines, vaccinated travel lanes. We had Delta, we had Omicron. I found this one genos testing and I was like, what was that? And I was like, oh yeah, that's that thing that Indonesia was doing at their attractions to test people before they went in. I was like, my God, what happened with that? Um, And then finally, we kind of turned that corner into 2022 reopening started to more fully happen across the region and we ran that eight-part mini-series of podcasts called two years of travel disruption didn't we yeah that was fascinating because we we spoke to people in most of the countries across the region we also spoke to a couple of analysts as well looking at reflecting really on what had happened over the past two years and how that was going to inform what was going forward i think it was easy for everybody really to explain the disruption and pretty much the devastation of, of the travel industries um, across that period. But it was quite difficult at that time to really forecast what was going to happen next. We had some inkling that it was going to be graduated responses. Governments weren't going to throw open the borders immediately. That, you know, as, you know, as we know, there were vaccinated requirements for travel for quite a long period of time. And that obviously impacted demand that impacted the way the travel industry recovered in airlines hotels all of those kinds of things so it was like emerging from a from a dark dream but still unsure of what the way ahead was going to be yeah absolutely and we you know we we got old old faithful Stuart mcdonald back on as well to give us his view uh, i think he was still pretty gloomy back then but at, at least i don't think he was saying two and two to two and a half years more um we had people like karen Yue from ttt asia we had tourism australia brent anderson mike tataski from vietnam um dan lin from zuzu hospitality back then so like you say it was really different perspectives coming at it from different angles and just trying to combine that knowledge and say okay so so what next what's going to happen um and yeah mm -hmm. and i remember because i mean if you remember back to 2021 hannah the the dark days you know the you mentioned delta the delta wave which sky through the region i think it actually started in india and it, it came through southeast asia and that was really what turned governments uh, very, very negative in terms of their reopening projections. Um, and here in Malaysia, we actually couldn't travel even domestically for eight months during 2021. Yeah, it, the whole economy really, really went into complete logjam. And then when the, the domestic opening restarted towards the end of 
2021, people started traveling to Penang and to Langkawi, um, but it's still internationally was still very, very difficult and there weren't many international flights. And I remember when we did turn the corner in 2022, was vaccinated, permitted to travel um, as a vaccinated traveler. I went back to the UK for the first time in two and a half years. And I remember going through KLIA and just watching how nervous everybody was and, you know, how people were social distancing by default, you know, that had just become the way we behaved. Um, and, you know, compared to what KLIA was before and what it is now pretty much, you know, just that really, really bustling, full people rushing to get to where they need to be. Travel was still in a very, very different mode at that time. And it took a while, really, I think, for confidence to rebuild. But several months, I would actually say. Yeah, and it must have been interesting for you going back that early as well, because when you went back to the UK, I think it was almost like nothing had happened, right? It was a completely different attitude towards COVID, completely different attitude towards kind of personal safety in in that respect. So it must have been, um, yeah, a very yeah, it was. It, it was. it was. It was. It was leaping from one world to another for yeah. sure. I mean, I remember landing at. Heathrow Airport. And at that time, I think it was Terminal 2. Two of the terminals, I think, were closed at Heathrow at that time. So all the flights coming in were jammed into one massive uh, arrivals hall. And, you know, the, nobody was social distancing. Virtually the only people wearing masks were the travelers coming from, from Asia. Nobody else was wearing masks. Uh, and, you know, travel, going around London on the underground, again, the only people wearing masks were older people and Asian tourists. And, you know, that became very, very apparent very, very quickly um, that the UK, Europe and the US, I would say, had moved on very, very quickly psychologically. You know, the, the virus was still around. I went back to the UK over Christmas this last year and caught COVID again. You know, it's still around. The virus is still around. But people's mentality was very, very different in terms of the way they were still thinking about it. And I think actually from the outset, you know, the way that European governments, except those that got really badly hit in the early days, like Italy, um, did think about it very, very differently to, to governments here in our region. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, actually. It's about that that mentality. So, of course, the COVID was still there, but it's just how do you mentally bounce back from that? And I, I suppose perhaps us with our much harsher lockdowns, I'm thinking about China as well, with their really long lockdowns, um, that impacts you after a certain point, doesn't it? Um, you know, you go out in the malls in KL now and you'll, you'll still see quite a few. I wouldn't say everybody by any means. I'd say maybe 25% perhaps of people still wearing masks if it's a busy place, you know, people watching lion dances like I was in the, the shopping mall over the, the weekend for Chinese New Year. Um, there's, there's still that kind of psychological scar, I suppose, about that. Yeah, absolutely so. You know, reopening now, Hannah, this is also quite remarkable, is almost two years ago. You know, it's two years since the, the borders started to reopen. As we said, it started uh, relatively slowly. 2022 was a relatively slow year. 2023 was a, a pretty positive year around the region. There are some structural issues in terms of supply of, of different uh, airlines and, and, and different tourism products, that kind of thing. Of course, you know, a two-year closure is going to have longer-term impacts on supply. Um, but looking back over the last two years, Hannah, what, what kind of things stand out for you, both in terms of the podcast and just the way mindsets have changed? Hmm. I mean, I think what, you know, what, what stands out really is the fact that we keep 
coming back to the same topics over and over again. And I, hopefully that that's not boring for the listeners, but you know they're, they're still relevant. We're still facing up against those same issues. How do you balance local livelihoods versus international tourists coming in when you're talking about you know over tourism in some areas? Those lucky areas, I suppose you could say lucky or not that, that are facing that those same targets um governments not learning um from the pandemic all of that talk about quality over quantity and everyone's still aiming for the quantity um but you know what i am comforted by i suppose is that increase in awareness about sustainability from tourism businesses and more initiatives being run on the ground at that kind of grassroots level whether that's by an association whether that's by an sme themselves um to push sustainability and to try and make that a priority um for the destination in which they're operating so i feel kind of heartened that there is that that focus although you know as as we always say there's an extremely long way to go but i feel we are slightly further down that journey now than we were before the pandemic. I think that it has brought it into the the light a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I was, I was actually just going to follow up on that. I agree with you. I think that the it was inevitable that climate change and environment would become a bigger issue, not just for travel and tourism, but for all industries around the world. You know, travel and tourism isn't the only contributor to emissions. It's quite a high one, but it's certainly not the highest. And that would have happened anyway, but you're right. That period of closure, that period of shutdown, really, I think exposed to, to policymakers, to the industry, to consumers, that, that maybe there does have to be a different way. On the other side of that, you know, a lot of habits have, have reformed, have gone back to what they were before. But I do think that it's always in our mind two things. One is that climate change impacts are becoming just so much more evident in, in daily lives around the world, not just in this region. They're unavoidable. And I also think that people are aware that the pandemic killed millions of people around the world, but it could have been worse. And I think it's always going to be on the back of our minds going forward that there could be another one. And you know, maybe even COVID-19 could reform as something else in future. So I think Travel has changed and it hasn't changed, if that makes any sense. I do think that psychologically in the back of our minds, things have changed. Um, but people still need to travel. People still like to travel. People still want to travel for leisure. Um, and that in its own way is encouraging. But it does mean that those positive impacts that everybody hoped for perhaps haven't happened as quickly as maybe we thought they might. I think that makes sense. It's changed and it's not changed. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent agree. Um, so you know we're we're getting towards the end of the episode, Gary. But um, what have you enjoyed the most about co-hosting uh, the show over the last four years? I think it's been. I mean, it's been great that that you and I have worked so well together, and we we almost seamlessly have these these discussions. You know, I think it's informed by the fact that we have different networks, that we have different uh, work patterns. We do slightly different things, although some things overlap. So we, you know, stuff that we bring together, uh, we learn from each other, which I think is, is really, really great. And we still do that. I, I think it's learning. I mean, even during the pandemic, you know, we were speaking to people from around the world, from around the region with different thoughts, different insights. I think you just learn. And I think one of the interesting things about broadcasting you learn is, is also how you actually tease out some of those learnings 
some guests are more uh, willing to talk about difficult issues than others. Some have different insights on certain topics. It's learning how to do that balance. And I think probably the one thing we can say over this, uh, because we did get access to more people than we were probably expecting to, is that we've probably become better podcasts. And I think that means that the show itself uh, probably, although you say we come back to some of the similar topics, because we do, um, but you know, travel and tourism is actually confronting those topics every single day. I think it has, it has meant that we've actually been able to put together shows um, that actually for ourselves as well as hopefully for the listeners have just become more interesting. Yeah, I certainly, I certainly hope so. Yeah, it's 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 been a, a process, and I'm sure if, if people go back and listen to some of the early episodes and interviewing techniques, I'm, I'm sure it's it's miles better um, than it, than it probably was. Um, but yeah, it's it's always been so fun to speak to people. You said from completely different backgrounds, sometimes different perspectives, um, and learn those those little nuggets that challenge you, and you think, oh, I've never never thought about it in that way before okay that's that's really interesting um you know from from my point of view one of the things I just love is um having someone to share the the excitement of something that's happening in Southeast Asian tourism industry (laughs) or sometimes the silliness (laughs) another silly announcement from a government somewhere what are they planning to do that for um but it's you know it's um, having someone to share that who who really has that passion and being able to then share that with our our listeners with you all as well um knowing that you're also as interested and as invested in in the southeast asian tourism industry as we are um that's always fun to kind of uncover these little things and and bring them into the limelight yeah i, I would agree with that Anna. so 21st of February, 2024, this is our 200th episode. We're still really at the beginning part of the year, only, what, two, two twelfths, one-sixth of the way through the year. Um, are you optimistic about 2024, not just in terms of the recovery, but some of the issues you were talking about before? You know, if we're talking again in a year's time, do you think we'll still be talking about the same things? <laughs> Am I optimistic? I'm always, I think, a bit of a realist, um, you know, and as I, I say, I do think that the tourism industry has picked up momentum now and it's going to keep that momentum so long as, and here's the asterisk kind of terms and conditions apply, um, you know, sort of larging, there's all kind of geopolitics looming over us if that doesn't impact us, if there's not another (laughs) global pandemic, although right now, touch wood, that, that seems a bit unlikely. If currencies, well, I mean, currencies can go both ways right if it's if it's weaker people are coming in if it's stronger people are coming out but i guess what i'm saying is yeah quite quietly confident about 2024 how about you yep i would say the same uh, and also realistic i would agree with some of the you know the kind of flag um the flag points there that you mentioned i think the other one is government regulation i think governments have become much more I wouldn't say in tune, but they certainly got greater oversight of their travel and their consumer economies than they had before the pandemic. I think we're going to see a lot more regulations in different areas uh, related to digital technology, the use of AI, uh, things like social media platforms. You know, a lot of these things aren't necessarily travel, but they do inform the way that people think about travel, the way that they are influenced about travel and, you know, how they actually share their own travel experiences. So I think we'll see more of that. I agree with you regarding currencies. I think the payments issue is quite interesting because it's fragmented so much that it's become quite difficult for 
consumers and for uh, the travel industry to just to get a hold of actually how people are going to want to pay for travel products and services both before they travel and while they're traveling going forward. There have been some moves on that, but I just don't think we've even scratched the surface on that one yet. And I think the other side is also how do governments actually inform regulation related to controlling travel numbers in their economies. We have seen over the past two years this move back towards mass volume tourism, but I still think that once governments reach a level where they are earning enough from tourism that they probably might then start capping. And that could mean more regulations. That could mean more tourism fees, that kind of thing. I think that's in the offing, not in 2024, but certainly 25, probably 26 as well. Yeah, all all great points, I think. And uh, yeah, we've already seen the tourism fee last week for Bali. And I was chatting to someone from New Zealand yesterday and he was like, yeah, we implemented that like one, one, two years ago. Yeah, it was fine. No, no issues. We should probably have raised the fee more. Um, so maybe we're going to see that, right? There's this kind of baby steps and um, gradually turning up the heat um, in that bid for quality tourists and more tourism spend. Yeah, I think tourism pricing is going to be a big, big issue, I think. Mm. So with that, that brings us to the end of today's edition of the show. We hope you enjoyed our 200th episode. And don't forget to send us your thoughts on comments on what we discussed or what we missed out. You can message us on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yeah, meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue, all 200 episodes on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And you can search for the show on any international podcast platform. So that's a wrap for today, but we'll be back soon to talk more travel and tourism with you then. 